back in July uh, as a Father's Day gift from my wife, I got to go with my dad and my oldest son to watch our beloved Braves play baseball at Truist Park in Atlanta. This was Walter's first game to see in person. You'd think that 30 plus years of pain and disappointment would have been enough to convince me to spare him what I've lived through since I was his age. But no, I was trying to get those hooks as deep into him as I could get, as deep as my dad got them into me back in the day. Call it love, call it parental neglect, call it what you will. Uh, we went and we lost. <laughs> uh, but, but along the way, he got his first experience of one of the unique joys of an in-person sporting event. He got to experience his first wave. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Actually, looking out over this room, this would be a pretty great room to get a wave going. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you to do that. But, but the wave, I mean, nobody, the, the, the origins of a wave is very mysterious. No one really knows exactly where they begin. But at some point, somehow, around a stadium, from the field level all the way to the nosebleeds, everyone in a section stands, throws up their hands, sits back down again. And so it goes all the way around the stadium, all the way around the stadium, all the way around. We got to experience this. A little bit anemic, wasn't a very well attended game, but it was a wave nonetheless. Uh, I think it's actually a pretty good metaphor for the purpose of this book, the book of Acts, in the scriptures, but, but also in the life of the church ever since. The purpose of it for us, right here, right now, today. And the reason we've been studying it is for these last few months together. I think the wave actually helps us understand the, the response that Luke was going for by the time we get to the end of this book and look at his conclusion together. It's also a pretty good example of the reason we wanted to learn from this book in this specific crucial year in the life of our church. In January, the first Sunday of this year, 2021, two churches came together to form one, to form Edgefield Church. And from that day forward, we very intentionally tried to make sure that our, our sermons from right here, every, every week when we gather, this year especially, were really closely focused on what it means to be a local church. To start out this new season in our life together as a church with the basics. To, to, to sharpen up our minds and to remind ourselves of what we're doing together here, of what the mission and the hope that, that, has, that has rallied us to one another always is and always will be. We wanted to, to spend these weeks, in other words, like focusing in on what will never change, no matter how much change we've all experienced. And at the very beginning of this book of Acts, right in the very first chapter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this about the purpose of every local church from that point forward until today. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Just as soon as Jesus said these words, he rises up, ascends into heaven, takes his seat at the, at the right hand of his father. And as soon as he goes up, barely gets his seat, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the people that he left, the power he has promised, and the gospel from that point forward explodes 
throughout the city and the region and the world as witnesses do exactly what Jesus said that they would do. It's like looking at Acts is like looking at an aerial footage of a massive explosion, you know, where it's got an impact crater and then waves that just go out and out and out further and further and further. And we've been seeing in Acts that, that it really was like that, a power from God that comes down and explodes. And it is his power that sends this gospel everywhere. But it isn't just a shockwave. I mean, in a way, these waves we've been watching expand all throughout Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. And in another way, it's like a wave at a stadium. Because it moves forward through witnesses who see it coming, who hear that word, who respond, and then take their turn in passing it on to everyone else who's, who still needs to hear. And, and this book is in the Bible. And this sermon series is right here in the life of our church in 2021 so that we'll know that, that now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to stand up, to throw our hands up, to keep that wave going, to be part of a story that started way back then and that'll carry on long after we're all dead and gone. So friends, right here, right here at the end of Acts chapter 28, what we wanna do is spend the next few minutes of our time thinking back over everything that we've seen because that's what Luke wants from us. In this small collection of verses, he's touching on major themes that he's been touching on all throughout the book. And by walking carefully through these verses, little by little, all the way to the end, we'll get a little bit of a walk down memory lane, what we've covered together throughout this series. And then we'll look ahead to what it'll mean for us for the rest of our life together as long as God gives it to us. I want to simply cover three things this morning from the last few verses of Acts chapter 28. I want us to see three things that we learn from the conclusion to this amazing book. First, that the gospel is still spreading. Second, that the witnesses are still witnessing about Jesus. And then third, that now it's our turn. First, the gospel is still spreading. That's what Luke wants us to notice from the way that he chooses to end his book. Did you notice he picks up where we left off last week with, with Paul and this band of, of soldiers and sailors who'd been shipwrecked on the island of Malta. They, they, they decide to spend the rest of the winter there because they're not getting back off that sea after what they've been through. They're just going to stay put and wait until the, the, the things calm down. When, when the winter passes, they leave Malta. They make a couple stops up the coast of Italy. And finally, Luke says, verse 14, and so we came to Rome. It's hard to overstate how powerful this dramatic moment must have been for Paul on so many levels. Any self-respecting, well-educated Roman citizen like him surely dreamed of making it to, to, to that city for all of their life. Surely it was on the bucket list of, of everybody in Paul's situation. But Paul, Paul saw Rome as way more than just a tourist destination he longed to check off his list. For an apostle, Rome had essential strategic value. Rome was a hub for the whole empire. Rome had major roads that were safe and protected and easily traveled, going out from it like spokes on a wheel in every direction, carrying not just people like him wherever they might want to go, but bringing people from all sides of the empire into Rome to do their business there and to seek influence there. It's, it's like the world came to this one centrally accessible spot. Paul knows that. Rome for an apostle would have been like Carnegie Hall or the Ryman Auditorium for a musician. 
like Wall Street for a finance guru or Paris for a pastry chef. It's where you want to be. It's the beating heart, the place of of maximum influence and reach. And that's why for the last 10 chapters, roughly a third of this book, the theme of Rome keeps coming up in Paul's words and his mind and in his communications with Jesus about what he's gonna do next. Over and over, we've seen Paul looking ahead. After I go to Jerusalem, I've gotta go to Rome. And now here he is. But it's what they find when they get there that I think draws us into the first theme we ought to notice about this conclusion. A major theme throughout the whole book that Luke is now bringing back right in front of us as he ends it. What do they find when Paul finally gets to Rome? What they find is a group of Christians. When he gets to Rome, the gospel had already beaten him there. And, and, and look, at, look, at what, look at what Luke tells us about his reaction. I mean, in one way, I, I could almost imagine Paul being a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of an anticlimax, isn't it? It's Rome, Rome, Rome. He's been charging for Rome this whole time, and he gets there with the gospel. And they already have it. You would almost expect him to feel like somebody with you know, a juicy bit of news to share who busts into a room full of friends to find out they're already talking about it. They already know. But that's not Paul at all. But what Luke tells us is that Paul thanks God. And then he takes courage. Can you see why? He didn't feel like he'd been scooped. This man felt like his life, so fragile and vulnerable and short, was caught up in a wave a whole lot bigger than him. This man knew this wasn't all on him. This word spreads through a power that God puts behind it. That, that, that it's carried along by, by, by God's own spirit that's alive and active in this world far beyond what this man could reach. In, in other words, I think by, by, by telling the story in this way, I think Luke is reminding us of a major thing that he's used to structure the whole book all along the way. At several key points, at key transition moments in the story, the same basic refrain comes up over and over and over again. Chapter 6, verse 7, Luke says, the word of God continued to increase. Chapter 12, verse 24, Luke said, the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you see this? The gospel, the word of the Lord, it's spreading. It's spreading. It's spreading. And now here at the climax of the book, it's already there at this city that's been Paul's dream for so long. Paul's thankful and takes courage because no matter whether he's got days or weeks or years left to go, this word is already outrunning him. This word has a life of its own. This word won't fall to the ground when he does or be buried with him when, his, when he's gone. The gospel is still spreading. And that's the first encouragement for us this morning, friends, for the life of our church. As long as the Lord gives us life as a church, our church is grounded on his word. We don't have some, we don't have some new strategy, some new and innovative approach to church life that we figured out. We don't have a product that you can't find anywhere else. In fact, we got nothing to offer you right here that you can't find in every other faithful church around our city and every other faithful church all around the world and back through time all the way to these days of Acts. What we have is what they had. 
What we have is all that, that anyone needs for a healthy, faithful local church. We have this word right at the center of our life together. It's this confidence in the Bible and in the Jesus that the Bible holds out to us that ultimately drew our churches together at the beginning of this year. We could see that confidence in one another. It's, it's what made us so happy and, and, and confident that we could work, partner together the way we have this year. And it's what we're committed to give to one another, feeding back and forth, back and forth to one another throughout our life together. Not just here on our, on our Sunday mornings when we come together around the word, but throughout our, our small groups and throughout our friendships, over lunch, over coffee, wherever we show up, we bring this word with us and give it to one another and to a weary and broken world who won't find hope anywhere else. The first thing we should notice about this conclusion to Acts is that the gospel is still spreading and there is tremendous hope for us in that reality. The second thing that Luke shows us in his conclusion is that the witnesses are still witnessing about Jesus. The gospel spreading, Acts has been showing us that, but it's also shown us how. Remember Acts 1.8, I read from it earlier, this topic sentence for the whole book when the Holy, you receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. The gospel makes it through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Because witnesses, people who have access to who Jesus is and what he's done, take it to people who don't yet have access to who Jesus is and what he's done. And now, right here in the final verses of this book, Luke shows us Paul doing exactly what Paul has lived to do ever since he met Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus. We see Paul doing what Peter did before him, what Stephen did, what every other, what every other key character in this book has always done. We see Paul bearing witness to Jesus. What happens in, in verses 17 to 28 here at the end of the book is basically the same thing that's been happening ever since Paul came on the scene 15 chapters ago. In a, in a way, it's, it's like a summary of every message Paul's ever given. He calls the Jewish leaders together first. That's verse 17. Just like he did at every other stop on every other missionary journey, he goes to, to, to his people and he calls to them. Now he tells them, I'm innocent of the charges that have gotten me here. I didn't do anything to our people. I didn't do anything to Rome. Even the Romans say it. They know they don't have any good charges against me. First, he goes to tell them he's innocent, but then he mainly just goes to ask them if he can tell them about Jesus. Verse 20, tells, he says to them, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And asks them if, if, they will be, if they'll be willing to come and let him, let him tell them how Jesus fulfills the hope of Israel. So that's what they do. They appoint a day for him, verse 23, come to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And Luke tells us from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is what he does at every stop, everywhere he goes, and he's still doing it here. And just like in every other stop, verse 24 tells us, some were convinced by what he said and others disbelieved. That's why he leaves them with a warning that the prophets always said it would be like this and with a, with a word that he's going to the Gentiles where they'll listen. Now, that right there is like a high-level summary, as I've said, of just about every speech that Paul gives at every stop on his missionary journeys from back in chapter 13 all the way to this point. But the reason I give you that flyover is, is mostly to draw your attention to why I think Luke ends here. 
If he's already shown us this so many different times, and, and here he is at the climax of the book, he's got one last chance to do something, to leave his readers with, with the main thing he wants them to take away. Why does he just do the same thing? Give us basically the same summary that he's been giving us since back in chapter 13. I think he's showing us something here that we couldn't have seen without the last 15 chapters building up to this moment. Do you remember what happened the first time that Paul made a case like this before a group just like this back in Pisidian Antioch in chapter 13? Here's verse 50 of chapter 13. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. That's what happened. And do you remember what happened in chapter 14? Next town over, Iconium. Paul starts with the Jews, gives this basic message. And chapter 14, verse 2 says, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the, brother, br- the brothers. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra. Remember what happened when they got to Lystra? Well, the mob caught up with them, and this time they did actually stone them. They stoned them and left them for dead. And on and on it goes. Chapter 17, they're in Thessalonica. Same thing happens. He starts with the Jews. Some believe, some don't. They stir up the city. The whole city is in an uproar, uh, an uproar chapter 17 says. And how, how did Paul get here to Rome in chains? It's because when he was in Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, the whole city rose up in a mob and tried to tear him limb from limb. So, that's the history. That's what we've seen before. That's this theme that's absolutely as consistent through Acts as the word itself spreading. So look what Luke tells us in verse 17, through those eyes, through that lens. After three days, that Paul took to rest up from, you know, being shipwrecked and traveling all the way to Rome from Jerusalem, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. Paul called them together. Paul, at his own initiative, asked for this meeting, knowing full well how these meetings have gone for him in every other stop. That is just astounding to me. Have you heard that old familiar definition of insanity? insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results on the surface doesn't it look to you like Paul has just gone insane what's going on here it's not insanity friends rather there are three crucial things from Paul's example that show us what it means to be a witness what's going on here is not insanity it's that first of all Paul knows his role It just isn't up to him to decide how people are going to respond to this message. Because Paul knew that Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. Paul knows that not just because people handed it down to him who were there on that day, but because Paul met with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and Jesus told him. Paul knows, knows it because Jesus met with him in in his deepest, darkest nights in prison and said to, this, said to him, you, as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That's what his master, his Lord said to him. Paul knows his role. Here he is doing it. 
Here he is witnessing, just like he knew his Savior had told him to do. Paul knows his role. The second thing we see here is that Paul loves his people. Just because he doesn't expect them to believe doesn't mean he doesn't want them to. He loves these people. He sees himself as a, as a faithful Jew, an inheritor of the promises to Abraham, who now just believes that Jesus has fulfilled all the hopes that Israel has been, has been holding on to all these years. He keeps going no matter how many times he's rejected because he loves people and he wants good for them. And the final thing we see is that Paul is confident he's got something they need. These people that he loves desperately need what he has to offer. He knows Jesus is the one they've been waiting for this whole time. Jesus is the one who answers all the questions that they have. He's the fulfillment of every single one of their hopes and the key to the freedom that, that, that's from, from everything that's been holding them back. Paul knows he's got this news they've been waiting for. And that's why he just keeps on witnessing to them no matter what, no matter how badly it goes from one stop to another. Paul's posture here, it reminds me, it reminds me of the story behind the Juneteenth celebration. I know I've mentioned this to you guys before. How much that celebration and what stands behind it, I think, reflects on what's going on here in Acts. So the Juneteenth celebration is the celebration of the effective end of slavery in America. So not the official end of it legally, but the effective end of it. When, when the final group of slaves were told that you're not slaves anymore. Because the Emancipation Proclamation, well, that happened in the middle of the Civil War. Yeah, it said all the slaves are free, but most of them were living under a different government who didn't really care what Abraham Lincoln had to say at that time. And it didn't end with the official end of the war either. Because a lot of the people living in slavery were living in places that were hard to get to. They didn't even know that the war was over in many cases. Maybe they didn't even know what the war uh, meant for, for them. This holiday marks the day that the last group of slaves received a message from someone authorized by the government to give it. Who reached them and said, no more. You are now free. I think Paul sees himself as in a very similar situation to whoever it was that galloped up on horseback to that group and let them know what was already true that they just didn't know about yet. See, see Paul knows that, that, that through Jesus, his people could be free. They, they don't have to wait anymore for a sacrifice that can fully account for their sin. There's no more need to go to the temple every year after year after year with a reminder not just that forgiveness is available, but that it's still needed. Jesus has done that once and for all. And they don't need to be waiting anymore for David to come back. No, David's son is here. His kingdom is now. You can be free. See, he knows, in other words, that he has what they've been living to hear. That they can't be free or know forgiveness any other way. And so he's just not really evaluating how likely all this is to succeed. He loves them. He has what they need. He goes. He's just an ambassador who's spreading the news and can't stand the thought that some of his people don't know it yet. Friends, we chose a series on Acts for this year in our church's life to give clarity to every single one of us about who we are and what we're about. We are witnesses to Jesus wherever he's put us, whoever he's put us around, no matter how likely it is that we'll see the results we want to see. This work right here that Paul is doing, that that before him, Peter was doing and Stephen was doing and Philip was doing. 
this is work that we're called to do. I wonder, friends, are you regularly speaking about Jesus with, with friends that you have who, who don't know him or follow him? If you're not, let me, let me give you a simple exercise that you can do with another friend. Maybe to work through together with somebody in your small group. Think about this, Luke, this model Luke has just given us. Uh, I've talked about evangelism here and Paul, with Paul as our example as a kind of three-link chain. There are three pieces to it. He knew his role, knew what Jesus had given him to do. He loved his people. He wanted good for them. And he was absolutely convinced that what he had, they needed. So if that's the three-link chain for faithful evangelism for all of us as Christians, and you're, you're frustrated with yourself that you're not doing enough evangelism, you don't find yourself regularly talking about Jesus to others, I think it'd be good for you to do a little thought experiment. Which of those three links do you think is broken for you? Could it be that you don't realize this is something Jesus has given you to do? That he's equipped you to do by giving you his own spirit? Do you feel perhaps that it's something that other people do? The professionals, the ones who, who sort of do this for their work. You need to know that this is your role and he's given you what you need to do it. Could it be that, that what's missing for you is, is love for the people that you're around? If so, that's something to pray for. To pray that the Lord will stir up in you a heart of love that can't sleep as long as your friends don't have what you have. This hope, this peace that they could have if they trusted Christ. Or could it be that, that maybe that's what you're not confident about? That, that maybe you don't see that Jesus is something that they do need. In which case, the, the best way to get over that hump is just to focus more on Christ. Like to go deep into the scriptures to see the goodness and beauty of who he is and what he's done and what he offers to everyone. I wonder where, what link is broken for you? That isn't gonna, knowing the answer to that isn't going to solve the problem necessarily, but it can help you pinpoint where you need to focus to grow in evangelism. You know, what you need to read about and pray for and ask, ask others to help you with. Friends, this, this picture of Paul as a witness is also for us as a church, not just for us as individuals to try to figure out where's our entry point. But it's, it's a reminder that as a church, one of the main reasons that we, we gather together is to help one another to do this work well. One of the ways that, that you serve the witnessing of witnesses is to support other witnesses. So, so I think it's a great thing to bring regularly into your small group conversations with your friends, to ask them, who, who do you have in your life that the Lord has put you near who needs the hope of Christ? Can we pray together about how to, about how to speak well of him, how to ask good questions and to be sensitive and, and empathetic as you listen to the answers? Or, or, or think about tonight, for example. Right here, uh, during our prayer service tonight, we're going to hear from Drew and Caroline Avery, who are about to move to Niger. Your role, if you're a member of our church, is, is partly to send them there well. To, to know that they're there, to remember to pray for them about the opportunities that the Lord will bring to them there among those who don't know Jesus yet. To, to, to pray for them, uh, to, to encourage others to pray for them by bringing them up to your other friends who are still here. To, to just show up tonight 
and listen and learn more about what it is that they're going to do. Bill mentioned earlier that we're also taking up a, an annual missions offering right now. Every dollar that is given to that specific missions offering is going to go into work that helps to get the message about Jesus out to people who don't have it yet. Part of what we, what we do in response to Acts is, is invest in the witness that other people are doing. And friends, maybe at a baseline, a place that you could start right here today is just to pray that, that our church will be full of evangelism like this, that, that we'll constantly be encouraging one another and learning from one another on the job, so to speak, about, about how to do what Paul's been doing here, how to witness to Jesus amongst our friends and the relationships that God has given us. Please pray that, pray it every day and, and encourage others to pray it too. Because if we've seen anything in Acts, it's that these good things happen when God's power shows up and his power shows up in response to his people praying. Friends, what we're learning from the conclusion to Acts is what we've been learning in Acts all along. The gospel is still spreading and it's still spreading because witnesses just keep on witnessing about Jesus. And that brings me to the final word from Luke and for our series. The third thing I want you to notice, the third thing we need to learn from, from Luke's conclusion to his story is that now, now it's our turn. To me, one of, the, one of the most striking features in this whole book is the way that Luke decides to end it. I want to reread re for you the last two verses of Acts 28. Look down there with me. Luke says he, talking about Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's it. That's how he ends it. I think about some context here. Luke was a meticulous historian. He had an eye for detail. And not just an eye for detail, he seemed to have the historian's confidence that everyone else cares about the details as much as he does and just fills this story up with them. I mean, this is the same guy who told us the name of Centurion who was commanding the ship that carried Paul to Rome. His name was Julius. He's the same guy who told us that there were 276 people on board that ship, not 274, not 279, 276 on board that ship. He's the same guy who right here at the beginning of this little ship, ship ride tells us that that the figurehead was the twin gods, two Roman gods, I guess, that were supposed to lead to good things happening out on the sea. He, he, he gave us all these details. And now after all this buildup, getting Paul to Rome, all this talk about Paul standing before Caesar, all this expectation of, of what's gonna happen next when he gets there, all of a sudden, Luke just drops it. Paul's still in prison. We don't know how that ended up. We have no idea when or how he got out or what he did next or anything like that. In fact, we don't even know what happened during the two years that Luke tells us about. He just sums up two years and, and leaves us to imagine, to fill in what those days and nights were like for Paul. We have to piece together whatever we know from the letters Paul was writing during that time. As I, I mean, we could, we could see this as a kind of cliffhanger maybe if there were a sequel to this book. 
you know, uh, uh, but without a next week's episode to wait for. I mean, why did Luke end it here? Why did he end it like this? Did he just run out of paper? Did he run out of ink or did he run out of time? Given what we know about Luke, we have to believe that this, this choice right here was intentional. That, that, that ending like this was part of the point Luke wanted to make to us. Because this story was never about Paul to begin with. And this story isn't over yet. If this were a story about Paul, Luke's choice to end it like this would be a pretty terrible place to conclude. But from the beginning, we've been watching Luke put the focus on on God, who is at work through the gospel. This is no biography of Paul. Paul didn't even really show up until halfway through the book. Before that, it was Peter and Stephen and Philip and others who came and witnessed to Jesus and went. One after another, Luke has been putting prophecies in front of us that God has been fulfilling through this story. One after another, he's been putting miracles in front of us, clearly worked by the power of God. And remember, it was, it was Jesus who appeared to Paul and told him he would testify in Rome. This chapter right here fulfills a prophecy or a promise, rather, that Jesus had made to Paul. It was Jesus who told Paul not to worry about the shipwreck, that he'd stand before Caesar. In other words, it was Jesus that orchestrated everything that we're seeing right here in this, in this scene. It, it was Jesus who's been at work even in Paul's darkest nights and deepest pains to bring this good news to the heart of the Roman Empire. And surely this is what Luke means for us to notice now at this critical moment in the story. Paul is in chains, but the word is not. People just keep coming to him and he keeps preaching the good news of the kingdom. And the final words, at least in our translation, are without hindrance. Prison is no hindrance. Chains are no hindrance. The Roman guard chained to Paul is no hindrance. The power of Rome itself is no hindrance because God is at the center of this story. It is his power we've watched work through every page. He is the hero of the story Luke is telling us. And this story that's focused on God ultimately is not over yet. It's carried on these 2,000 years. This message has continued to spread and to increase. And today, friends, the gospel flourishes all over the world. From the Pacific Northwest to the rural South, to Sub-Saharan Africa, to the underground churches of Iran and China. It's flourished despite immense cultural differences between the people who've chosen to believe and despite the best attempts of many of the world's most powerful governments to suppress it and snuff it out. Acts is a story of what God is doing in the world without hindrance. And that story is still playing out right here, right now among us. Luke's ending, it's not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. It's just the end of the beginning of a story that now wonderfully includes us, our church, Edgefield Church. Luke ends this book the way he does to give us a chance to find our place in the story that he's telling. 
to know who we are and what we're about and who we can trust with our future. And this is the story that we need for what can only be described as a disorienting couple of years for most of us in a lot of different ways. Am I right? Just on an individual level, first of all, think about the disorientation of the last year and a half. Let me just give you one example. Job transition. Did you know that this period, the last 18 months, already has a name? It's actually got two different names. We'll see which one historians decide to stick with. You know they're calling it the Great Resignation or alternatively the Big Quit? In September of this year, 4.4 million Americans voluntarily left their jobs, breaking a record that was set just a month prior when millions of others made the exact same decision. And so on the month before that and the month before that, dating back to the beginning of all this unrest through the pandemic. And that's in addition to people who lost their jobs due to COVID or who otherwise just got reassigned in some major ways. Look, The factors behind these numbers are obviously super complicated. Who knows? We won't know for a while what's really going on in all of this. But any way you explain it, that's a huge trend, especially given how much one's work factors into identity and purpose. How could this thing, this year have been anything other than just super disorienting for so many people? And maybe you're among them here right now, still still sort of reeling from what these changes of the last year have brought to your life. Can you see how Acts helps you? Friends, whatever changes have have happened to your day-to-day, if you're a Christian, you have a purpose in your life that goes with you wherever you go and whatever else might change. It never changes. It's more fundamental to who you are and to what your life is for than wherever you may draw a paycheck. You have a role if you're in school or retired or at home with your kids or punching a clock every day. If you've been a Christian for five decades or a Christian for five months, Acts gives you your role. Acts orients you with a purpose nothing can change, no matter how disorienting a year may be. You are a witness to Jesus, just like Paul was. And you have been given everything you need to take that role up. Can you see how how this same reorientation helps us as a church too? Not just as individuals who need purpose and clarity in a tough couple of years, but as a church? Entirely aside from all the challenges of the COVID era for churches everywhere, we are coming to the end of a really big year for our church. It's been a year full of big changes for a lot of us for a lot of different reasons. Isn't it, isn't it just glorious to be able to zoom in together through the pages of Acts on what hasn't changed, on what never will change? Isn't it, isn't it so clarifying and helpful, friends, in other words, to see our story, the story of our church in the year 2021 in light of the story, all caps, what God has been doing all along and is doing now through us. We are, we right here in our church, we are about the spread of this word to one another and through us to the world. And we're trusting that that spread, it comes back 
not by our power, but by God's power in us, by his own spirit opening up eyes and changing hearts and working without hindrance where we might otherwise just run into one brick wall after another. Doesn't this matter so much more to us, friends, than whatever name we might go by or whatever neighborhood we might live in or how beautiful our building may be and whether or not our building has any heat on inside of it. This word is spreading through Jesus' witnesses by the power of God, that's Acts. And that's our story too. We have his word, we have his spirit, we have one another, and we have his promise to be with us to the end of the age. This story is our story. Thanks be to God for making it so clear. And now we pray that God will continue to do his work even through us right here, right now. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the clarity and hope and perspective that you've given to us through your word. And we thank you that at the end of this story, Christ wins. He shall reign from shore to shore. He will reign from this moment and forevermore. There is nothing in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that can take him off of his throne. And we are in him. So we pray that that confidence and hope would color everything we do and everything we say and everything we are as a congregation. We pray that we would honor and glorify you by the humility of taking up this work as enough for us, for the time and place you've put us in. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.